0: This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 28.
1: Folks are really afraid of real estate in some regards, but I think it's a forgiving business. I mean, ultimately, even if you're upside down on a property, if you pay down debt over time, that property will ultimately cash flow.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Felipe Mejia. How are you, Felipe? I have some really exciting news to tell you. I can't rip on you right away today.
2: Oh my gosh. I was going (laughs) to guess, but I don't know. Tell me what's up.
0: So I'm refinancing two properties and the one property has a loan on it at 7.3%. So I'm refinancing out of that. And then, um, including a property that I had purchased in cash and my new interest rate, it's a commercial loan. And it's amortized over 25 years. Okay. It's only a five year fix, though. Okay. 3.03%.
2: So you just you doubled you or no? You just yeah. So you just cut your interest in half, which means your cash flow is going through the roof for the next five years, and now you have five right. years to figure it out. You know, I think this is awesome because a lot of people will not take a deal because like, oh, it's at seven percent or six percent, and I don't want to do it. I mean, you have time to refinance out later. You can figure it, it out,
0: was, right? And it was still cash flowing exactly at seven percent, exactly. Yeah, so now it's just even more cash flow. But yeah, so that was really exciting. so you're buying Today, a I Tesla I... with all the extra. <laughs> No, actually, I already got a, a house under contract. Nice. <laughs> Going to use that money for, but yeah. So I went and picked up. I went to my attorney's office, picked up the refinance check this morning, made the deposit, and yeah, I love so it. Super Your assets day. are buying
2: more assets, and that's the power of real yeah. estate. You you reinvest that money, you keep buying, and then that's how you mm-hmm. just continue to buy rental properties. But we are not here to talk about Ashley's refinance today. We are going oh. to be talking to <laughs> Marseille today. He's a pastor. He's got a full-time job as an engineer, if I'm not mistaken. He is a landlord. A family. He's got a family. I mean, he's wearing tons of hats. But he's doing it and he's crushing it. And he talks about the systems that he's put in place on how to build a real estate business while wearing all of these hats.
0: Yeah, he does a great job of explaining how he has the mindset to do all of this stuff, too, and really goes into detail as to how you have to think and what you have to sacrifice and what you have to go through to become successful. He talks about, uh, you know, not working in your business and transitioning to working on your business. And he's slowly moving towards hiring a property management company.
2: It's interesting because he also talks about a crazy story about a tenant who joined his church and then stopped paying rent. But I won't tell you all about it. You guys have to go in and listen.
3: Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent-to-retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit Rent to Retirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments. And hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act Head over to CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets. Marseille, welcome to the show, man. We're super excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are,
2: what you do, all of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well. Firstly, thank you guys for having me on the show. It's an honor and uh, truly a privilege to be with you guys today. I am a uh, you know I go by the name of the Property Pastor. My name is uh, Marseille Winder. People always ask me why do I go by that name. The reason is that I'm an actual pastor. I pastor a church here in uh, Hampton, Virginia. We are located close to Virginia Beach, and we call it the Seven Cities area, the seven five seven zip code area code, whatever. And I've been investing since about 2017. Kind of grew up around construction. Um, my dad is a general contractor. So my summers were really spent on job sites, you know, cleaning up trash, you know, anything he could put me on, I, I kind of did. And, you know, fast forward 20 years or so, and, and really I got exposed to real estate through my dad. And as he was doing different projects, he started acquiring a few properties and it really just kind of stuck. Now, I, went to school. I was a, a college athlete, played uh, at North Carolina AT State University and then went into corporate America. So I'm, I'm currently an engineering manager uh, at a manufacturing company around here. And, you know, in 2017, I bought my first property. So for me, real estate was kind of one of those things to jump into. I kind of knew some of the inner workings and just fell in love with it. So I've been at it since 2017. And, um, Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at. So I I split my time between being a pastor, a dad, I work a full-time job and I invest in real estate. That's
2: kind of where I'm at. What does your portfolio look like now, Marseille? How many units do you have, doors, all that?
1: Um, So I just acquired my eighth property last week. I mean, that was a duplex. So I think I'm up to about 24 doors, so to speak. So I've got a mix. Um, My first property was a quad, and I've got a few. See, I started with a college rental. That's another nightmare. So I converted that over to to doing something else. Yeah, I've got about twenty four doors spread across eight properties right now.
0: That's great. Since two thousand seventeen, that's pr- really good growth.
1: Yeah, I, you know, you 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 feel like you're not doing much when you read, you know, ten x rule by Grant Cardone. Right. <laughs> but still, still, it's it's a decent start. You know, I've tried to COVID this year has kind of slowed down my goals, but we we've still been investing during during this time. Marseille,
2: you're saying you know the 10x rule and all that. You know, I hear these rules all the time: the two percent rule, the one percent rule, the bur. Like I hear all of these rules, and I've st- people started asking me, like, "Hey, Felipe, what rule do you use?" And I'm like, "Well, first right. of all, I-, I don't use a rule. My- right. It's it's what's Felipe's goal, you know, this year or going forward, or what am I working on right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you're like, oh, you know, my 10x rule, but COVID or, or during this time, you know, we've we've had to slow down a little bit." You know, but you're still crushing it. Since 2017, you have 20 plus. Pro- I mean, that's great. I think you're doing amazing. And everyone that always asks me about these rules or what calculator I should use, I say, look, mm-hmm. BiggerPockets has the best calculators, I think, anywhere in town. Just go on the website, BiggerPockets right. forward slash calculators. Go, and you yeah. Can- yeah, absolutely. But always use the metric at the end of the day of what's your personal goal? Yep. Why are you doing this? What? Why is this good for yourself? And use yep. that metric. Is it cash flow? Is it equity? What is that for you, you know? So I always tell people on that. Yeah. And I think that's
1: key because one, one of the things I tell folks that ask me, I'm like, hey, it's kind of like when you go to a store, right? When you go in and you've got an outfit, you can't just buy off the rack. You got to try it on. You know, you've got to get to that place of, hey, this is what works for me. This is what works in my market. This is what helps me to achieve my goals because, you know, comparison is a, it, it could be great, but it can also be terrible. You know, if you're like, hey, I got to be like this guy or like this gal, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You got to find what works for you and your market. So I, th- I think that's key.
0: Marseille, are you doing anything besides buy and hold? Have you done any flips or do you plan on doing any kind of other real estate investment strategy?
1: Yeah. Interesting. You should ask that where I'm at in my market, there's not a ton of inventory. So there's a lot of flippers where I'm at and, and the single family game is, is huge. So I'm actually reaching out to some of my, my wholesalers and like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a flip in the next, you know, next six months or next year. So I have not done any flips quite yet, but because I've got so much experience in construction field, it's kind of a decent fit. You know, and one of my mentors, he's a pretty heavy flipper. So that's something that I'm probably going to be taking on in the next year or so.
2: Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot, Marseille. Like, you know, people end up starting with just single family homes or multifamily, and then get into either wholesaling or flipping. And I wonder if that happens because, like, you tend to just kind of master your craft, so you want to get to the next one or the, or the yep. next. You know, what's the next hustle that I can do in real yep. estate? So I feel I feel like that's normal. I mean, that just that just happens. Yeah, and that light bulb
1: kind of went went off for me a few months ago because it was like, okay, I'm doing buying holes. I'm you know, I kind of know this model. I'm I'm just kind of rinse and repeat, but it's kind of a paced growth, I guess. So it's kind of like you you go through this acquisition, get a property ready to go, and and turn it back around. Mm-hmm. And I think the more deals I've done, I'm starting to uh, attract other people. You know, from this, from private money or people who want to do JV deals. And it kind of, like you said, it's that natural progression of, hey, I can do a little bit more. Um, I can kind of take on some more bandwidth. But I think it's it has to be like a phased growth, though. If you try to do it all on day one, it's just way too much. Because that was one thing that was really an eye opener for me when I started. Everything I was reading or podcast I was listening to it was like, hey, just do this one thing master this one thing. And I didn't realize that, Hey, that one thing was time bound. Cause after a while you kind of master that and you can now kind of expand your bandwidth a little bit.
0: That's such a great point. And a lot of people say, stay in your lane, what you're good at, get focused on that. And once you are focused on that and you have, like you said, it's a machine, you can just do it in your sleep. Once yep. you have that down, then go focus on the other thing. Because when you have 10 different things going mm-hmm. on, it's very hard to, you know, maximize your time on just one or make one super efficient when you have all these other things going on. And I know this from personal experience. <laughs> In the yes, past year, I've been really trying to like focus down and, you know, work on one thing. And then mm-hmm. it actually gets me excited to finish that one thing because then I know I get to go on to that next shiny object, that next right. deal, that next different revenue. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but I get, I get bored after a while.
0: I mean, yeah, exactly. and
1: honestly, is I mean, if I go on vacation, my wife's, my, fi- my family likes to just do nothing on vacation. I don't know how about you yeah. guys, but sometimes we go on vacation and we're doing nothing and I get stir crazy at day two and I'm like, I got to do something. Yeah. So I think I run yeah. into the same thing with with real estate. Like, I got to take on a new challenge.
0: Yeah. And just like learning about how to do that new investment yep. strategy or that new business is always so exciting and Absolutely. Fun. So, your family. How did you bring up real estate to your wife? What did that conversation look like?
2: I'm already a pastor. I'm already a full time working. Let's just go ahead and add this. We got kids. Yeah, let's just it's add right. one more <laughs> thing. Yeah.
1: So, so it's a, it's a funny thing because, and I didn't I didn't go into this in the beginning, but my dad being a contractor, he built his own house, you know, himself. And then when I came back to the area, you know, he's like, hey, you know, if you want to move back home, I got a piece of land for you in the front. You can build your house. I'll help you. So we took about three and a half years and built my house. And and it was literally, you know, nights and weekends. And we kind of have a running joke in my house. And like my middle daughter, I didn't really know her that good because every night I was over there working at the house. You know, I'm framing, I'm running, you know, PVC lines and and, and all this plumbing and all this kind of stuff. And over time, she's like, you're always gone. And then when this came up, she was just like, "Well, I guess that's this new project." But I try to tell her as a method to the madness. You know, when we we we'll get to that place of financial freedom and escape the rat race, so she kind of has her eyes set on that date where she can, yeah. you know, hopefully <laughs> one day maybe stop working and see me not so busy. But yeah, when bringing it up to her, she's always kind of been supportive. She's like, "Okay, I, you know, I believe in you, and I know you're going to work at it until you get it." So that's that's been helpful. But yeah, she's like, all right, what's Marseille working on today? A lot of people say, this guy's just a dreamer. He always wants to work on something different.
2: I I like that. And I think sometimes Marseille, I think people don't see the sacrifice that as real estate investors that we have to do. Um, I remember talking to my wife before we started heavily investing in real estate. And it's like, you know, we just had our firstborn, my son Armando, you can see him here in the background, Mm -hmm. but it was like, hey, babe, I know that he won't remember the first two or three years maybe of his life. So why don't I just like hustle as hard as I can for these next two years going on maybe his third year. And then we'll really slow it down after that. And, And we've done that, right? We did as much as we could in two and a half, three years. And like you said, right now during COVID, we've really slowed down. And I've really been able to enjoy my son but you know, I had to sacrifice those two years. And, and as a dad, that's really hard because you might be out there grinding it out. But I know in your heart of hearts, Marseille, you were thinking of your family while you were out oh, there yeah. on those nights and weekends, man. It was, it was like that struggle. So just to our listeners, I want to know, I want you to know that if you're out there doing it, it gets better and we, we're with you. Like we've all gone through that. like uh, our kids are here, but we have to be working to give them a better future, and it's always like that constant pull.
0: A lot of people always say your kids are only young once, but they're also only in their teens, you know, they're only eight or nine, you know, they're only that age once too. And for me, this is one thing Felipe and I agree upon (laughs) is (laughs) we would rather work hard when our kids are younger so that when they're older and can do stuff, we can spend all that time with them. Right.
2: Yeah, we agree
1: that. I think too, there's a quality time and there's quantity time too. And what I found in my journey is, you know, we try to steal moments. And what I mean by that is when we're super busy or I'm working on a project, I'll grab one of my kids and take them with me. If we're not in a spot where kind of a hectic construction site, I mean, my kids actually have helped me film YouTube videos before. They've made bandit signs for me, you know? Yeah, exactly. You get the, you get the, I mean, we've done so much together with limited time. I think those are the things that I've realized that they really kind of grab hold of and remember Cause that's what I remember when I was growing up with my dad, you know, I remember him taking me on job sites and my feet couldn't touch, touch the, you know, the ground from the back of the pickup truck, but I was with him. Like you said, I mean, getting to that place of you're grinding during those times, but you can still, it does, it's not all or nothing, I guess is, is the big point of it. You can still steal time and create those memories
2: too. All right, Pastor Marseille. We're this isn't. Uh, we're not going to do a family intervention, right? You are definitely a pastor. Lord, look at that. We went completely different from real estate. let me take that hat back off. <laughs> yeah, let's put on the real estate <laughs> hat back. No, I'm kidding. I love it. I, I think family is part of real estate, and you cannot separate the two. So I think it's great. All right, so let's move on, though. Marseille, do you have a rookie deal for us that you want to bring that you can talk about, deep dive? Give us a first a thirty thousand foot view of how it all worked okay. out, and uh, and we'll just kind of sit back and let you take it over.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've got, I do a lot of stuff kind of in the creative space. I I think I want to talk maybe first I'll talk through my very first deal I ever did. And that was actually a deal that was brought to me by a wholesaler. So before I did a deal, you know, I really took kind of that six to nine months of just learning, just watching every, checking out every video I could watch, listening to every podcast I could listen to, reading every book I could read. But when I was ready to pull the trigger, a quad came up. And it was a part of like a local rear group and it was only 65 grand. So I was like, wow, that's great for a quad, but it needed a lot of work. So I took that deal, paid the wholesale fees or whatever, took on the property. And it was basically three of the four units were occupied. So I took that opportunity to go ahead and rehab or renovate one of the units so we put about, I think about 15 or so grand into one of the units, really modernized it, new flooring, new bathroom. I mean, just just made it really shine. And then we went out and did new windows and new vinyl siding across the whole project. So we were able to kind of do some forced appreciation on that deal. And when we, we took the project on, the, the rents were about 1730 I think. And today we're up to about 2300 So we were able to really raise our rents overtime, do some forced appreciation and start to convert our tenant base over. So that project was a, it was kind of, when I look back, I'm like, man, I probably shouldn't have done that from my first deal, but I was glad I jumped into it and kind of got that experience because through it, we had different maintenance headaches because it was an older house. But so sometimes when folks are looking at just looking at the sticker price and you're like, man, this house has a great price on it but you don't realize how much extra maintenance you're going to have, things that have been deferred, things that are going to break and stuff like that. So that very first deal was kind of a, a I don't know, quasi-burr because we we kind of renovated one unit. We put brand new siding on it and basically refinanced it out because it was a cash deal and just refinanced it out. And basically when it was all said and done, we we're cash flowing pretty good on that one. So that, that was my first foray into real estate. And probably the last deal, the one I just closed on last week, I used creative financing to acquire it. And that was actually a lease option purchase. So what I did with that property is a duplex and another investor friend of mine, he's just kind of, he wants to focus on wholesaling. So he's like, hey man, I'm, I, I gotta get out of this house. I, I'm tired of it. So we work it out. I basically just, we set up an option fee Five years from now, you know, I'll pay them out. I'm getting all of the uh equity pay down over time. And after five years, whatever we have left on the principal is what I'll buy it for. So that was a pretty good deal because it was a low barrier to entry. And it's got a um, I'm gonna pretty much be getting, you know, all of my money back in year one. So but yeah, those are two that I've done, probably first deal and then last deal. And then there's all the stuff in the middle.
0: Yeah. Well, let's dive into that first deal. So one thing you had said there was, you know, it wasn't the best deal for you to go into on your first one, but you have no regrets. And I think that that is something I hear a lot from investors is that they don't regret their first deal. I, we had Jay Scott on here on an episode and his first flip was awful. They had to turn it into a rental and he's like, but I don't regret it because that got them started. That got them going. And so I want everyone to make sure that you just know your first deal is not always going to be perfect. It's not going to be a home run, but don't let that discourage you and keep going and keep trying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we tend to have this fear of failure, but at the end of the day, you got to yeah. fail. I mean, you just yeah. got to go, you got to do it. Folks are really afraid of real estate in some regards, but I think it's a forgiving business. I mean, ultimately, even if you're upside down on a property, if you pay down debt over time, that property will ultimately cash flow. So <laughs> yeah. getting to that place of, Hey, yeah, it's a lot to take on, but it's kind of like, Hey, the water's fine. Just go ahead and jump in.
0: And you said that your rents had increased. So since 2017, the increased, what, what was it? Almost $400?
1: Yeah, well, we, we started at actually a little bit more. We started at, we, we acquired, I think we we're about 17 something and mm-hmm. we just did a rent increase and we're up to 23 right now. So we've got a pretty good bump. Do
0: you think, that rent increase was that more because you put that rehab value into it, or and built that equity, or was it because of the market too? What the rental increases were? A
1: little bit of both. Um, when I, I took the property on, I mean, because I, I do like to get properties from tired landlords, you know, and I find that some of the properties I acquire, they haven't had a rental increase, you know, in five years, ten years, or whatever that looks like, and that's kind of a double edged sword, right? Because if you're getting a tenant who I don't really, I'm not crazy about inheriting tenants because they come with bad habits. But at the end of the day, um, a lot of that came and we put brand new vinyl siding on it. We put brand new windows, you know, people were getting a lot of uh, savings in the winter. Um, And we were really showing improvement to the property, showing that we want to really upgrade this because when we purchased it, I took my kids out to it and they told me that they were like, dad, this looks like a haunted house, but we got it. We got it up and running the way it needed to be.
0: So when you talked about raising your rents, how do you approach your tenants with a rent increase, especially since it was such a huge amount? Did you do it on a scale very gradually or did you? how did you work that with them?
1: Yeah, so I, whenever I raise rents, I do it incrementally. And what I try to do is actually show the value that we're bringing to the property. You know, when people can actually see what's taking place, so they see new windows going in, they see the the property just being beautified and just kind of showing what that long range vision is. So we try to, you know, talk about framing, right? We try to frame what that's going to look like over time. And we basically kind of say, okay, here's where things are. Here's where we want to be in a few years. And we kind of give them up front. So that way they know what they're going to be dealing with. So I try not to hit them with, hey, we're going to raise your rent $200 this month. That's just, that, that typically doesn't work. So for us, it's very much incremental. And if I've got a tenant that's been paying for a long time, you know, I kind of value that tenant, you know, if they can make the income and things like that, you know, they have got a good history, you know, we won't actually keep them. So for me, it's more of an incremental process, but at the same time, we're trying to show that value, um, that value add.
2: I like that because, you know, Marseille, I think a lot of times people are scared to raise rents, which is why you find landlords that have a property for five years that they've never raised the rent. So, Marseille, can you tell us a little bit about that mindset of why you're okay with raising rents and potentially losing a tenant, right? Because that happens. So, you know, I want to hear from you what's your mindset on that? And then I'll ask Ashley and we'll speak on it as well. But, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, well, so so my my mindset really is, I, I
1: think a tenant, you know, you've got to screen tenants really well. And I think this is not the last good tenant that is on the face of the earth. So people always need a place to live. And for me, what I try to do is match market rent. And really for me, I don't want to be at the top end of the spectrum. I want to kind of be in that median point where folks are going to get value, right? But at the same time, I'm not, I can't give away, you know, all of my profits at, out of fear of keeping a tenant. So I would rather get somebody out there who's grossly under underpaying. Maybe they're paying consistently, but if they were going to be much higher, you know, at market rent and they couldn't pay, then in my mind, that's not really a good tenant. For me, it's really just a matter of it's kind of like pull the bandaid off. Sometimes you have to pull the bandaid off. You got to recognize that if you have a good product in your unit. Then somebody else wants it. We marketed a duplex last week, and I think we had, in a week, we had fifty plus people apply for it. And I'm like, wow, there are other fish in the sea. It's kind of like dating. You know, you're scared to make the breakup, but you just need to go ahead and do it because there's other fish out there. So, so for me, that, that's the way I look at it.
2: And an AC is gonna break, a refrigerator is gonna go out, and they're not. It, those prices aren't going down, right? Maintenance costs is going up, just like rents going up, just like everything else is going up. You know, I don't have that fear of raising rents because like you said, when you know you have a great product, if someone's not paying you for that value, then they're just wasting your time. And we all know that's the biggest asset we have. Absolutely.
0: Let's talk about your, so you're self-managing these properties. What systems do you have in place to do this? What does your screening for tenants look like? Mm -hmm. Your application process? How are you collecting rent? Are you using any software? Can you dive into that for us, please?
1: So I use a combination of Cozy some of my tenants are, they don't have accounts and stuff like that. So they, I, I basically use like money order systems with envelopes and I'll mail them, a you know, mail them a QuickBooks invoice and they mail it back to me and all that kind of stuff. And Wait, I just so you don't
0: them. drive around on the Sunday after the first yeah. and go and pick them up like <laughs> fully <Felipe. laughs>
1: So, uh oh, is it is a, it's so, a, it's okay. a easy so moment for Felipe? Now, now,
2: now I have to butt in, and now Ashley's <laughs> taking this a whole different way. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, to kind of speak on that, I've hired someone that has taken over that, Yay! so it feels yeah. really great. It feels okay,
1: really, really well,
2: awesome.
0: A, one thing off the the list that I can criticize you for. There you go. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Marseille.
1: When when I bought that first quad, so. I'm at a place in my business. I'm actually bringing on a new a property management company right now. For So they're, they're starting to take over portions of my portfolio. And my experience has been a little bit unique. So the first quad that I purchased, it had a quote unquote property manager. He wasn't official. He was just kind of came with the property. I mean, he's like, hey, I want to stay on. So what I did was I really used that experience to kind of learn property management, but he didn't really know. He was kind of like almost like an employee. Right. So he would go and collect. He would go and set up all of the maintenance stuff that I needed. So he was kind of my hands and feet. But a lot of the times I was having to instruct him on what I wanted to be done. Like when it came to evictions, you know, I was like, hey, you got to go to the courthouse. You got to do this. So for me, it was kind of like a hybrid between self-managing and having a property manager. But I'm glad for that experience because I learned so much. But one of the first things that, you know, kind of funny story, when I brought the property and I was interviewing him, I'm like, so what do you do? And he's like, well, you know, I, I go and I pick the rents up and that was pretty much all he did. <laughs> and I was like, hey, well, I'm not taking cash. So we're gonna go to this new system. And I said, if you don't do more, you're pretty much out of a job. I've basically replaced you in five minutes. So we got to the place of um, just kind of building in some new systems. Brandon Turner's got a fantastic book on property management, um, it's a guy named Mike Butler. I think his book is uh, Landlording on Autopilot. That's a pretty good one. So I just kind of use some of those things to kind of build in. But here now I'm actually transitioning out to a formalized company. Cause I need to really focus on working on my business and not working in it. It's, it's kind of where I'm I at love right that now. right
0: there. And that's something that hit me this past year. And I just switched property management to this past February. Mm-hmm. It was like a huge weight taken off my shoulders.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, really? it, it's so weird because, and I think when you start talking about like the e-myth, right, that's a good book. Cause it mm-hmm. kind of just goes through, do you own a business or do you really own a job? And there's stuff that I can do, right? I mean, I can pick up a hammer, I can hit, pick up a drill, I can fix pretty much anything that needs to be fixed, but is that time better served somewhere else? And that's something that I have to constantly like pull myself out of and say, all right, just let the maintenance guy fix it and work on the next deal.
2: Yeah, I, I got a friend here in Nashville, Tennessee, who I'm helping with a property that he's doing like me, where he's renting the basement and the upstairs separately, whatever. And he's like, you know, the other day he goes, Hey, I bought a paint spray. I'm going to spray the whole house. I'm going to paint it. And I was like, Okay, that's awesome. How long do you think that's going to take you? And he's like, Well, I think it's going to take me this long. And I'm like, Okay. So I got Victor the Painter. He's famous now on Bigger Pockets. He's my painter. I've had him since I was like 17 years old. Anyways, so Victor the Painter, I'm like, okay, so my guy Victor can do it in three days, and he's going to charge you this amount. So that means that you have three days to make this amount of money. Can you do it? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so you want to spend twice that long painting your house that you've never done, or you're going to have a professional do it. And you can go make that money doing something that you love, which is whatever his job is, right? And and like it just clicked. Now that makes sense to us. But Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like sometimes I'm even, you know, I'm even a victim of this. Sometimes I get a call from a tenant, and they're like, "Hey, there's an issue with this." I'm like, "Oh, I know how to fix that. I've fixed that a hundred times." But I'm like, "Okay, I got to drive out there. I got to drive back. I got to deal with the tenant. I got to fix the issue. It's gonna take me three hours, or I can pay someone to do it, and I can come, you know, find a deal that's gonna cover that." that cost for 20 years from now. So I tend to tell people like, Hey, just make sure that you're using your time wisely.
1: Yeah. And I run to that same thing. I mean, I get into that a lot where yeah, I can go fix it or I can just call my maintenance guy and have him go do it. And sometimes he charges me more than I want. So I'm kind of torn. But at the end of the day, like you said, are you working on your business or you're working in it?
3: What would be
0: like one or two pieces of advice you can give someone who's maybe thinking of switching over, you know, their property management or even just their maintenance? They're thinking of getting that first system in place. What's something that they can use or do to start working on that and moving forward?
1: Well, first, to me, I think a big piece of it is what is your time worth? You know, and kind of to piggyback on what Felipe said is basically, if I take this job and my maintenance guy can do it, you know, in two hours and he's going to charge me this much, how much am I worth? It might take me twice as long. So I think the first step is really to kind of put that threshold in and say, what is my time worth? Is it better to serve somewhere else? I mean, then I think the other piece is really kind of making some decisions on where you're trying to go, right? Because if you are going to spend all your time and don't build systems, it is absolutely going to stifle your growth. Right. You're not going to be able to force multiply yourself because you're going to be working in it, you know, and all of those times the attendants are going to call you more and more and more and more things are going to break. What I've noticed is every time I go over there, if it's one call, it's that one call and it's these other four things. And I'm like, well, you just called about this one thing. So, you know, I put in systems even to say, OK, you got to pull out a maintenance request. You got to fill out this form. And that nips a lot of stuff in the butt, even right there, because people are they just don't want to fill out all the all the paperwork. But
0: how are they filling out that form? Is that software or the, um, most Google of my forms? folks
1: we just leave like a stack of them in the units and then they'll just take a picture of it and and just send it in. Sometimes they can they can email stuff as well, but some of the tenants are some of them might be older, not as savvy with technology. So mm-hmm. Cozy, you know, you can do stuff through Cozy, but uh, for the most part, a lot of our folks are, are just taking a picture of a form. They fill it out. They might send it in with their rent payment, or they might send a picture of it. Like they just call and they say, Hey, I need this fixed. We always push back and say, Hey, can you fill out a form for that? Because we want to document it. We kind of just kind of spin it like, yeah, "Yeah, we want to make sure that we keep track of what's where we're sending people and all that kind of stuff.
0: And are they texting your personal phone or do you have a different number set up for them to contact or they contact the, the property manager from the one unit?
1: I use a Google voice contacts. Yes. And my property manager, he gets most of the calls, you know, he just disseminates them, but I do have a Google voice number that I use Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But I I never give out my personal number because, you know, you just get folks call you all sorts of times of the night and and all that kind of stuff.
0: That's what I used to use too the Google voice number when Mm I self manage. And I was able to, like, if I was going out of town and I didn't want to have to take calls or anything like that, I could transfer the Google voice number To someone else's phone that had the app, and it's really nice for that flexibility. And also, I would know when it was a tenant coming, calling because it was, you know, my company name coming up. So, yeah, Google Voice, highly recommend for anyone that is taking their own tenant calls or really has any kind of business that you can connect it right to your cell phone, but it's a whole different number and you can transfer it, set a separate voicemail. Ah uh, Felipe, here, here's me again ripping on Felipe. He forever he used to have a moving company, and I think it was just last month. I think when did you stop doing it? Maybe like January, December, Felipe. And just last month, you yeah. finally changed your voicemail so it didn't <laughs> say the moving company.
2: <laughs> I just hadn't, I just hadn't even like changed my like, my voicemail on it, Marce. I did have a question for you though. Earlier, you were talking about the the deal that you had found and how you worked that out. Can you? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna I want to loop that around a little bit. Can you tell us how you built that? Let's call it rapport with that person to sell you that home, because we all know real estate is emotional as much as we're taught that it's not. It is. You know, I don't care what a guru tells you. Real estate's emotional. I'm emotional about all of my properties, and it's really hard to not make that emotional decision. So, how did you build that rapport with them? Give us that little story.
1: Yeah, so I mean, r- rapport is is everything. I'm actually kind of at a phase right now where I'm really digging into like negotiation books and and understanding, you know, the psychology of what goes on. But building rapport for me, and I'll use the example of a quad I just purchased earlier this year. So basically, I'm dealing with a guy who's like 80 years old. And he's, mm-hmm. he's got one property is free and clear and he's gotten, and actually I, I, I reached out to him through deal machine. You know, you get a postcard, a picture of the property and whatnot, and he gets it he calls me up and say, Hey, I got a picture of, you know, my house and, um, let's talk about it. So I go meet him and whatnot and just kind of making conversation, figuring out what his interests are, figuring out how long he's been living in the area, come to find out, you know, his church, I knew people that went there. And um, he had another like person who was trying to trying to buy the house from him as well, and it just kind of worked out that over time, you know, we built rapport, we got to know each other, and we had a few things to change with the deal with lending when COVID first hit. And I was like, hey, I need to structure a little bit differently. And I think without that rapport, without knowing one another, without actually, you know, trying to, I guess, not necessarily haggle, but help, right? Trying to find a solution with each other, he was a lot more flexible than working with me. So um, I was able to acquire that property, you know, just probably just on relationship alone. So that that that, that rapport is, is critical.
2: So that pastor card works, right? Do I need to- do It I does to... work. Yeah, it does work. <laughs> I mean, it's, and I, and I think at the end of the day, it's really
1: about finding that commonality, you know, because most most people want maximum dollar for the house. You want to pay the lowest amount for the house possible, but then kind of finding common interests and in folks that you that you both know or experiences that you both had, you kind of introduce that personal factor. And then when things do change, or you need to kind of, be flexible, then they're a lot more more likely to do it, and that's that's what I found.
2: I agree, I agree, Marseille. Building that relationship with somebody is important. I feel like a lot of times people will just say, "Hey, I want to buy your house, this amount, whatever." Work out the deal, what's best for them, but forget that there's another person on the other side of that conversation. And if you can yep. find a common ground, you know, then it, let's make a situation where we both win. It's not about taking right. over somebody or or whatever the case may be. Marseille, I do know that there's a story about one of your tenants joining your church. And uh, I'm going to dig into that because that's going to be my favorite. Please tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so that that was just a nightmare. So this is going back to, I want to say it was probably my second deal was a duplex. And you know this is where I have my quote unquote property manager go out and they're showing a unit. And whenever that guy would tell me, he said, hey, I got a really good feeling about this one that was usually a sign that this is not going to turn out well. So he met the couple and he told them, and they were about to get married and this, that, and the third. He's like, well, yeah, you know, the owner's a pastor. And, you know, just in the course of conversation, I guess they found out where my church was, they came and they visited, and we're talking to them afterwards. And I'm like, God, please don't let them join this church. And I never prayed that prayer. But that day I was praying that prayer, please don't let them join this church. So lo and behold, they're like, yeah, we really love it here. We want to join. And I'm like, well, have you considered have you Check out other places, you know, make sure you... You know, I'm trying, trying not to steer them away, but I'm like, just make sure you check around, you know, make sure that's the right thing that you want to do. So they joined the church, and lo and behold, about two months in, they stopped paying their rent, this, that, and the third. And then we got to have the talk. So I always send the property manager out first. He's talking with them. They're falling behind. We try to work with them, make a payment plan, this, that, and the third. And it just wasn't working. You know, I say, hey, guys, listen, we're kind of at a conflict of interest and really, if you were not members of this church and you rented this unit, it wouldn't be a problem. Or if you moved somewhere else and had the same problem, the church could help you. I said, but the problem you run into is that if the church helps you, they're actually paying me. So it just turned into a big conflict of interest. And we really value you know that as a, as a church. And I value that as a pastor, but it was just a nightmare. And, and from there on, I mean, every time I talked to my property guy, I'm like, listen, and I just interviewed a new property manager. I'm like, hey, no matter mm-hmm. what, don't tell anybody that I'm a
0: pastor (laughs) no matter
1: what no matter what I mean because unfortunately people do play on that and I think that's what happened Mm -hmm. with this couple and um yeah they I I lost a lot of money behind that one it was an expensive seminar
0: and how did what ended up happening did you have to go through a full eviction with them
1: so with them, they actually just left. We didn't have to do, sometimes I do cash for keys with people, but they actually, once they, we kind of put the whole threat of eviction in front of them, they didn't, they just kind of left. And probably, you know, a month after we had that conversation, they moved on. So we, we were able to just turn the unit back over, but it was, it was a nightmare. Did they
0: leave your church too?
1: Yes, they were like, yeah. Yeah, you, they were like, you threw us out of the church and they talked bad about us. I had to call, oh, sit our leadership God. team down, say, hey, this is what's coming guys. Just so yeah. you know, you're probably going to hear some stuff from this couple and I had to give them the backstory. So they kind of understood, but yeah, it was,
2: I was like, Oh (laughs) yeah, Yeah, it was, it was bad. That's definitely where I would have been like, yeah, I need to stop working in my business and just start working on my business. Like that's a perfect example of situations where if you're, in the nitty gritty still after you've built a system those are the plugs that you gotta take you gotta you gotta cover up quickly or your sip's gonna shake you know what i'm saying so yeah that's that that's definitely a, a tough situation there your leadership took it well i'm assuming they did, yeah. I mean, they—they, they, I mean, they—they they knew my character. You know,
1: they—they they know who I am as a person. So they were like, "Yeah, we get it." And they had kind of worked with a couple too, so they kind of understood. So you gotta—you just gotta consider the source. They were fine with it. You know, a lot of the members were like, "Hey, what happened to so and so?" And we were like, "Yeah, let's talk about something else." <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just, <laughs> but yeah, that—that that was definitely one that will always stick with me.
0: Well, since we just heard your tenant horror story, let's hear about someone who has actually made your real estate investing better. We call this section the...
2: MVP, MVP, MVP. MVP, MVP, MVP.
3: Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. But if you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only one dollar. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T. R E D I dot com and use the code BP investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor to get six months of rents ready for only one dollar. Whether you need to
4: buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
3: Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com Rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash Rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash Rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: And this is where you tell us about the most valuable player on your team. So who is someone that has guided you through real estate investing, has helped you buy deals? You know, who is that person?
1: Yeah, it. it I, this is probably like a shared one, right? I can't really say I've got like one person. I say probably mm-hmm. may, may, basically three people are critical so far. And that's been the folks who help bring me deals. So I've got some different wholesalers I work with. I mean, my first deal came through a wholesaler and they're constantly looking for what I need. Um, So they really helped me out a lot. And then outside of that, I'd probably say one of my mentors, a guy named Chris, Chris Haskins, he's pretty big in this area, but he has helped me tremendously just kind of stretching what I believe I can do he really pushed me and said, Hey man, you got to get on YouTube. You got to start your channel. You got to start documenting your journey. And even through that, I, you know, I was, I was encouraged to apply for, for this podcast, you know? So people were just kind of pushing to say, Hey, you're, you, you can do a lot more than you think you can do in spite of everything you got going on. So, so those folks are really kind of just stretched, stretched me to, to my capacity. And then obviously my wife, you know, I talked about her at the beginning, but she, when we were engaged, I was like, if I decided to move to Alaska, I think she would, she would go with me. You know, she's just kind of that helper that's like, Hey, I believe in you. I'm cheering for you. You know, I got you. And it's a family affair because if you, you know, you're trying to do it and you got somebody criticizing the whole time. Like when I was building my house, it took three and a half years. Right. I mean, nice weekends after work. And if she was complaining the whole time, I'd probably still be building it now, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> but, but those folks are, are really instrumental to my journey so far. And have just made a, a huge impact on me.
2: Marseille, what would you say is the biggest like hurdle mentally that investors have to get over to take the plunge in real estate? And kind of like you said, right, your MVP is your wife, the people that are bringing you deals, right? Mm-hmm. So like for someone that's trying to first get started in real estate and doesn't have that MVP yet, how does right. that happen? How do you build those relationships? How do you do that? I think, so what I've run into from a lot of people
1: is just the... I think it kind of depends on your personality type. I mean, I'm an engineer by trade, right? So I went to school, got an engineer degree. I work as an engineer manager now. So for me, I want to analyze everything, you know, and I want to know, you go, okay, how, what's the, what's the cash on cash? What's the ROI? You know, I want to know all of these numbers and I'm just digging into deals. Well, at the end of the day, if you're meeting your metrics, just go for the deal. Right. I mean, and sometimes you want this perfect deal And at the end of the day, it's kind of like drafting a team, right? You know, you want to build a team around something, but sometimes you got to take the best player available. So you can take five years looking for a deal and be sitting in the same place you started at. So I think getting to that place of like, Hey, I'm going to share my goals and my dreams with somebody that uh, is going to hold me accountable to them. You know, I started telling people "I'm like, Hey guys, I'm going to do this. I'm going after real estate. I'm going to buy properties. And if they laughed, if they supported it, really didn't matter. But after a while, those same people, they're giving me referrals. Those same people, they're sending stuff my way. They got a real estate question. They send everybody to me. So I think at the end of the day, it's really getting over your, your analysis paralysis. And then the other piece of it is making up your mind that, hey, by this time next year, my first deal is going to be done. And really sharing that with people that can, that can hold you accountable for it.
2: I think also part of it is it's okay to hit a base hit it's okay to get to first or second base, right? They're not all going to be home runs. They're all going to give us lessons and that's okay. And when you get home runs, celebrate those W's, but it's really important to know that base hits are okay, right? We see all these, these podcasts or YouTube videos where people are buying Lambos with their first flip and, and, and like that's that's fine and all, but you know a quick ten twenty thousand dollar flip is fine. You know a cash flow of two three hundred bucks in certain areas that that's okay. And it's about taking action and learning the processes that it takes to be successful. Because if you can't manage you know hundred dollar cash flow, you're not going to be able to manage a hundred thousand dollars. You're not going you, you know so so it's about it's about building that process, building that those systems to where you know you are you have the availability to manage that. So great MVP.
1: That's a great point. Cause I, I mean, I, I talked about the first quad I bought and that thing is a cash flow cow. I mean, it does, it, it appraised decent and my, my mortgage payment is low and my rents are high. So I've got a very nice spread, but then I started to buy another pro- more properties and I'm expecting them all to be that way. And that wasn't the case. So I had to make them on my mind. I'm like, okay, am I going to buy a deal every three, four years? Or am I going to do three deals a year? For me, I wanted to do three deals a year. So I think it's important, like you said, to really celebrate those wins because if you don't, you kind of beat yourself up throughout that, that whole comparison game.
2: Agreed.
0: We usually do at the end of this a bunch of random questions, and uh, so we're going to ask you four of them today. But okay. the first question I want to ask kind of just relates to what you just said. How have you celebrated your wins? Have you guys done anything special, I mean, you know, after you've gotten these deals?
1: Good, good question. We usually kind of go and um, just have a big family meal. My wife's like, you bought another house? I'm like, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because me and my kids like to play the um, Kiyosaki game, the cash flow board game. Mm-hmm. So they get it right. They understand and like, oh, dad, we got more cash flow. We can get out of a rat race sooner. And my wife's like, ah, oh, we got another, another house. You know, she's happy about it, but she's like, but did right. you just buy a house. But we, we like to celebrate. We'll go out and have a nice meal. We just kind of use just a, that. This is another reason to just kind of go hang out and have fun together. But, but
2: yeah, we usually just kind of celebrate that way. Kind of like a raise on a job is the way I look at it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. I think a lot of people do forget to celebrate the W's. They get so caught up in deals and buying and purchasing. And, 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 you know, I'm I'm part of that, too. But uh, Mm -hmm. I do feel like we should take the time every now and then to just sit back and celebrate that W. Because, you know, we've like you said, we've given ourselves a raise
0: just to acknowledge it. Even if it is just sitting down for a meal, acknowledging that this meal is for this win. Right. And talking about it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I love that you involve your kids.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of get that dopamine rush every time I close a deal. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. wow, you know, this is more cash flow. I'm happy, you know. So, so for me, it's that celebration in itself, and everybody else is looking at me like, why are you so excited? You yeah. know. So.
2: Nope, I still get butterflies every time. I do not get the <laughs> dopamine rush. I get butterflies. I'm freaking out. I got to fill it with tenants. I'm the moment I close. I'm running back to the property yep. trying to make sure. No, I don't get that, bro. I that, get that's not your experience like, at all. Yeah. Huh? No, not at all. <laughs> Nervous. Wrecking moment. Yeah.
0: It's better than like going on a date with a girl for the first time, the butterflies Mm or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh
2: my gosh. To me, it's, it's yeah, no, I get butterflies. I'm freaking out. I'm like, am I going to do the wrong thing? It is crazy. All right. So my question, Marseille, my question would be if you could have a drink with anyone dead or alive, what would it be? And what would you talk about?
1: Hmm. Good question. I would
2: probably
1: want to meet with Martin Luther King. I mean, he's somebody, we actually share the same birthday. So I've just always loved his passion, his inspiration. And, and, you know, so he's not necessarily on the business side, but this guy was an avid reader. I look at like, we live in a distracted age right now. So to actually be a reader and a scholar is is kind of abnormal, you know, because we've just, we got videos everywhere. We got Netflix, we can watch, you know, all these kind of things. So I would just want to just sit down and pick his brain and say, how did you design a movement like this? How did you cast a vision? How did you get all these people to rally around something before, you know, things went viral before, before social you know,
0: media? <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, just to have that word of mouth power is mm-hmm. it just, it just blows my mind. So that's somebody I would really want to want to sit down with. And probably on the business side, Steve Jobs for sure. Cause he's every uh, everybody wants to meet him one day. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned that you like to read and you already gave us a couple great books and we're going to put those in the show notes too at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 28. We'll link all the books. Okay. Also, is there any other books you wanted to share with us that you recommend?
1: Everybody always, you know, they they jump on uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You always hear that, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. actually my favorite Kiyosaki book is I prefer Cashflow Quadrant because I think it's a little bit more analytical and it kind of just breaks down the four quadrants. And for me, one of the things i noticed, you know, my dad's an entrepreneur, but one of the things I noticed at a young age and one of the reasons that I didn't really jump into the same business was when he left the job, work kind of stopped. You know, he had a few crews that would work for him and stuff like that, but actually having those systems right and being able to kind of build and have something that's working while you're sleeping, Quadrant really kind of helped me in those those rounds because I really spent probably 10 years kind of on the sidelines of working in corporate America, really just saying, okay, I make a great wage. And then I started noticing, I was like, man, I only get two, three weeks off a year. That's uh, not very good. So I really started to kind of shift my focus and jumping in, but I think cash flow quadrant is a great one. I really like uh, the book um, "Whatever Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow and Other Measures." I think it's like Frank Gallinelli, I believe his name is. So he really kind of breaks into the analytics of you know cash on cash return. He gets he gets way deep. If you want to learn about uh, you know uh, internal rate of return and all the kind of stuff that I never use, he's got that kind of stuff in there as well. But I think that's a good book because it really just gave me a good foundation understand some of the calculations, right? I mean, I use the bigger pockets calculators, but I think it's important to understand the numbers that actually go kind of go behind it. Um, And then I say also probably a book that I just finished that I'm just in love with. I'm probably gonna read it like three or four more times is uh, a negotiation book by um, Chris Voss. It's called Never Split the Difference. Love that book.
0: When you said before you were learning negotiation, I was thinking that was the book you're reading. (laughs) Yep.
1: So it's, I mean, and that's one thing I've really kind of challenged myself with this year because I've started doing more off-market stuff. Like I've actually started sending out direct mail. I've started, you know, doing driving for dollars through deal machine. I've actually done it, closed the deal through pretty much turnkey on my own. Nobody brought me the deal. It wasn't to the MLS, but there's a lot of soft skills that you have to build. So Anything on negotiation, I'm just really passionate about right now. Just trying to get to that level of mastery to really understand those things. Because I'm a, I'm an analytic, right? So for me, I'm thinking, hey, the numbers make sense. I mean, I offered a guy a, a deal once, and the numbers made perfect sense, and he was like, no. And I just didn't understand the emotional attachment that he had. Well, you know, if right. I could do it all over, I would have used some of the principles I learned in these books. So.
2: Marcel, we've talked a lot about mindset, about MVPs, deals, analysis. We've talked a lot about a lot. Let's give our audience two or three thoughts from you that would best help them get started in real estate. So that's my question. What are your top three to get started in real estate? Yeah, so for me
1: to get started, figure out what you're good at, right? And I think you got to know your skill set. And I think when it comes to the things that you don't know how to do, you got two options. You can either go and hire those out. You can go find somebody who does know how to do them, or you can learn how to do them yourself. So I think kind of just taking a good inventory of where you are, right. And finding somebody else who's already doing it. So I think it's important to really kind of take a self-assessment, you know, realizing what your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, right. Where your gaps are, where am I, where do I need to grow at? And then develop a plan to fill those gaps, other thing is to really know your market, you know. So if you're going to invest in your back door, understand what numbers work there. Because you're going to read, you're going to listen to podcasts, you're going to read all these things, you're going to say, okay, one percent rule. You're going to start running numbers, and you can't meet it. You know, you're like, what do I do now? Do I just give up on real estate investing? I think you need to really understand your market, and in doing that, right, surround yourself with other people who are already doing it. That's one thing I love about real estate is that it's not like we're all inventors. We are going in and literally taking a system that somebody else has used already, been successful at in applying, applying principles, right? So I think partnering up with people, right? Getting, forming those networks, relationships, get involved in your local REA group. If you got another investor who's doing what you want to do, ask them, can you ride along with them? Can you go see their portfolio? Can you help them? Can you add value to them? You know, don't just go up to them and say, hey, I want you to mentor me for the next six months, but you need to add value, right? You need me to paint. You need me to clean up the, you need to cut the grass. I'm here to be that for you. You know, I'm working with a young guy now, and he said, hey, I just want to learn. So he does that for me. He actually goes out with me and, and helps to film YouTube, film videos for my channel. He does edits for me and all that kind of stuff. And It's a great benefit to me because I can sit back and do things that I need to do. So I think really getting to that place of uh, rec- recognizing your gaps, you know, kind of building that, that, that network. And then on top of that, share your goals with somebody right? And I think you got to write them down. You got to review them every day, but you need to kind of put it out there and don't be afraid to fail, right? Because at the end of the day, we, we are afraid. We don't want, everybody's going to laugh at us. We told you you shouldn't do it, right? But you just got to go, right? You just got to go. And when you go, you're going to feel so much better when it's all done. You finally pull that first deal. You get that first is either from a flip or your cash flow check or whatever. That is very satisfying and gratifying that you can build on to to the future. So.
2: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, as just even as hosts on bigger pockets, we get a lot of DMS from people saying, Hey, you know, I'd love to mentor from you or I'd love to learn, or I'd love to do all this. But then we, we tend to like, like, okay, well, I don't know what job I have for you. Right. Instead of someone coming and just saying, Hey, you know, I want to do this for you to help you out. And I want to learn from what you're doing. And that would just be, I think a lot easier. So Marseille, those are some wise words. Thanks for that. Definitely, you know, add value to the person you want to learn from find that person at an REI meeting in your local area, uh, and just add value to them. And that, that's going to be the best way, you know, find a problem that they have, solve it. And then they're going to definitely want to give back to you.
0: Yeah. Those are some great tips and advice that you gave. And I hope that everyone really listens to that and, you know, takes action to get started. But Marseille, where can people find more information about you? If I know a lot of people are going to want to reach out to you after this show. So where can they connect with you?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm active on BiggerPockets. So I've got a profile. My name is pretty unique, so I should be easy to find. <laughs> but I also go by the Property Pastor. So I do have a YouTube channel that I record and post to pretty much on a weekly basis. So you can find me on YouTube. I'm also on um, Facebook. So I'm, I'm on pretty much the different social media channels. And if you just search for the Property Pastor, you'll find me. And then if you search for me on BiggerPockets, you can find me by name. So you know, I try to stay pretty active and connecting with people and talking. And I just I like to network. Um, I'm not like a super extrovert but I do like to talk to people, their experiences and partner with folks on different things. So yeah, just feel free to reach out. I'm looking forward to
0: connecting with more folks. That's awesome. And you can find uh, Marseille in uh, the Facebook group too, the Bigger Pockets Facebook group, just search Real Estate Rookie and you can connect to him through there. And then uh, we will link his YouTube channel too in the show notes at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 28. But thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. We really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. I, I really appreciate hanging out with you guys and making the connection and being able to talk and share. And even hearing you guys' experiences. I think I think we all have value to build one another up. And and that's the good part about having this connected network. So thank y'all for having me. It's been a true pleasure. I've really enjoyed myself. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing more.
0: Yeah, Thanks, and Congratulations you on your success. I'm excited to see when you hit that fine number.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Appreciate
0: it. Okay. Well, I am Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Felipe at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday.
3: and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Ricky Bootcamp. See you there.